Wretched Radio begins in three, two, one. If it brings her to the same point that it brings you, it doesn't matter whether she called it God along the way or not. That understanding works for you, so therefore it is absolutely right for you. All beliefs have become only relatively true, and of course to the world, religion is just some personalized experience, not a divine revelation, and the church is catching the disease. It's time for Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. And welcome in to Wretched Radio. I'm Jimmy Hicks in the studio today, occupying Todd's chair. Well, actually, he doesn't have a chair in here, but I stand here nonetheless. Todd, of course, and the team are out on campus at Kennesaw State University looking for students to chat with because, of course, it's Wednesday. And around here, we call it Witness Wednesday. Prepare to go back in time to the 20th century. That's not that long ago, dude. You're studying history, but just the yeah. 20th century history? I study all of it. I just specialize in the 20th century. You just go Google it and find all of it. Yes, but you do have to also do research in certain topics. You can't just Google everything. Like oh, that, that, That's true. Okay, so the 20th century is yes. a particular fascination to you because why? Well, mainly most of the the reason where we are today, a lot of it can be traced back to the 20th century, right? Like the even going back to like 1914, when, you know, World War One started, a lot of the effects of World War One were actually still feeling today. I, I don't disagree with that. You know, the, the two big those were the bloodiest wars in yeah. human history. More people died. What do you think was the lesson from World Wars One and World War Two? I think the main lesson was that. Um, it really created kind of it prevented further wars because the end of World War Two saw such bloodshed that people realized that they shouldn't really repeat that or the consequences would be so dire. Yeah. So it really kind of and the U.N. and a lot of alliances formed after that. And the reason the Cold War didn't escalate was I know it sounds crazy, but the nuclear weapons kind of keep them kind of from escalating things. All right. Now you're taking it kind of geopolitically. I would suggest philosophically World Wars one and two brought about a massive change in societal thinking. Yes. I think they helped us move from being a modern mind of secular humanism into postmodernism. Are you familiar with postmodernism? A little bit. Basically, because of what we saw from the the fruit of secular humanism that human beings really are the ones it's kind of a rejection of god in the from the 15th 16th 17th 18th centuries rejection of god and church and bible more of a belief in man science empiricism but world wars one and two kind of changed our thinking that maybe we human beings don't have all of this stuff figured out the way that we thought and it ushered in postmodernism with some French philosophers like uh, uh, Michael Foucault and uh, Derrida that truth really isn't knowable and that it's based on the individual's own preferences of truth. That is truth to you, but it's not general truth because truth can't be known. And I think World Wars One and Two moved us from being a modern scientific mind to more of a postmodern mindset. That's my thinking. Thoughts? I think it did. And I think that really started to come into full force around the 60s. After once the counterculture movement kind of started to take off this, that kind of mindset really started to become very mainstream around that time. I think you're right. Are you would you consider yourself a postmodern thinker? I'd say sort of. Yes.
So, for instance, if I said that I believe that man throwing the football is 18 feet tall, that's my belief. Would you be willing to say I'm wrong? I'd say so, yeah. And well, it's not very postmodern. Stuff, yeah. The real postmodern would go, well, if that's what you believe, then that's reality to you. Okay, then I guess I'm not as postmodern as okay. other people are then yeah. in that case. Okay, then there would be modernism which would be science is the determiner of what is true and false, uh, true and false. And human logic and reason would reign as the determiners of what is right and wrong. Would you consider yourself a modern by that definition? I'd say in many forms, yes. In terms of like the guy being 18 feet, yeah, I'd be a modernist in that form as well as other things. All right. A pre-modern mindset would be less of an emphasis on science and certainly human logic and reason and more of an acceptance. There is a God. He's revealed himself through, at least in Western civilization, through the Bible. And the Bible basically acts as our arbiter. God determines what is true and false. And we just submit to that. That would be a pre-modern mindset. Do you think you're that? I don't really think that one, no. I'd say slightly religious, but not really on a big scale or anything. May I ask what religion are you? Uh, I'm an agnostic. You're an agnostic, but you called it a religion. That's fascinating. Well, okay. It's not exactly a religion. It's more of just kind of a, I guess kind of a mindset, not specifically really religion. Yeah. I, I find when I meet agnostics, they, they kind of pick that slot because it's kind of safe Harbor. It's not rejecting God, but it's not embracing God. It's kind of that yeah. hinterland. Is that where you're kind of parked? I'd say I'm slightly more on the God may be real side, but also there's also some belief, oh, if he's not real, then you know, I guess I'm prepared for that. So what do you think then, Cole, is the bar or the standard of proof to demonstrate that God exists that you would need in order to say, yeah, I'm not an agnostic anymore. I know that God exists. I'd say that's kind of a hard thing because it's kind of hard to know how because say if something big were to happen and there was some sort of proof, like some some godlike thing came down and actually showed proof, then yeah, I think me and many other agnostics would suddenly become religious. Would you have to see it to believe it? Probably, but if there were some other like feeling or something in a way, I guess. What about eyewitness testimony that God came down and revealed himself? Well, I'm not totally sure about that because like it could be just someone says that and like, you know, if one or two people say you can't just take their word for it, like it could it could be just be saying that for like publicity or something, especially nowadays. No, true. Publicity, nefarious, intense, or they've got some sort of weird twisted thinking or they're maybe trying to do it to get a following to bilk people of their money. Mm -hmm. I, I understand that. Let me see, though, if you would accept this as your level of proof. I'm a Christian. Here would be the level of proof that I would lay before you based on your terms. If God would come down and reveal himself, the Bible says that God did come down 2000 years ago in the okay. person of Jesus Christ. Certainly, you know, that historical yes. name, right? By the way, as an, as an historian, do you believe that he's an actual historical figure? I do believe he existed. Yes, I believe he's a real person. I believe he did gain a large following, like the Bible says. I just am not, I'm pretty skeptical on whether he actually was the son of God or anything. Fair enough. So Jesus Christ claimed to be the son of God, fully God, fully human 
being who did miracles, signs and wonders, not just like leg lengthenings and parlor tricks, but dead people were brought to life. Lame people walked, the blind saw, the deaf they heard. So he did some real genuine organic miracles. But the biggest miracle was the resurrection from the dead. Right. Dying on a cross three days later after he just got ripped to shreds. You know, they whip you with mm -hmm. cat and nine tails and then hang you on a tree. He really died. He really rose from the dead and he was seen by hundreds of eyewitnesses. Now, here's where this moves from the realm of a bunch of people saying what they believe and what they think you should believe. These are people who saw him rise from the dead and when confronted with the threat of death, if they would not recant their beliefs, they refused. Just follow through with this on me. You're a think thoughtful guy, Cole. It's one thing for people to say, I believe because of what I've heard. It's another thing to say, I believe because of what I've seen. The disciples saw Jesus die and they saw him rise from the dead. So when they were threatened with execution, they said, we can't recant because we saw it. We know it to be true. That is the bedrock miracle that demands a verdict on your part. Why would men, not, not a single one of them, recant their testimony that Jesus rose from the dead because they saw Jesus rise from the dead? They wrote it down. We have that testimony called the Bible an eyewitness account of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So now I think it's fair to ask your questions. Did they have a nefarious intent? Well, I don't think their intent would have been, you know, necessarily nefarious. They could have had very good intentions. I just think there is the possibility that they just may have been misled or didn't really know all the facts. I don't think their intentions were nefarious, though, at all. Let's try to imagine this is about Jesus Christ publicly crucified. Right. So like in a public place like this, hung yes. up, died, put into a tomb. Three days later, they saw him and hundreds of people saw him and witnessed this. What might they have been confused about? Well, it's hard to go back to see if this had happened today. There'd be a lot more credibility based on, you know, it's that was so long ago. It's harder to keep records on what happened back then. You know, from what I understand, the Bible's written, I believe, several hundred years officially after his death. That brings up a field of study that you may be interested in as a historian. It's called textual criticism. Okay. And this is for the Bible and this is for any book in, in, in ancient times where individuals study how true, how accurate a book is based on three criteria. When it was written, the number of manuscripts that we have and the age of the manuscripts that we have. So it makes sense. The closer the manuscripts are to the actual writing, and the more of them that we have, the more accurate the account is. That's called textual criticism. Okay, and stop. Conversation's getting kind of smartly here. Let's take just a second, catch our breath real quick. And when we return, Tom continues his chat with Cole at Kennesaw State University. It's Witness Wednesday on Wretched Radio. For your consideration, not one but two ways that you could strengthen the local global church, the Masters Academy International. 
training men in Los Angeles who then return to their home countries and open up mini seminaries to train pastors in their native land. That strengthens the local church. But there's another way you can do just that. We are partnering with the Masters Academy International to send Bibles to the Philippines. Not just any Bible, MacArthur Study Bibles to believers in TMAI trained churches. These efforts strengthen the local church. Would you please consider how many Bibles you might send? How many seminaries you might support overseas? To learn more, visit wretched.org slash pastor, or if you like the Bible sending idea, wretched.org slash Bible. Hey, thanks for tuning in and listening to Wretched Radio today. And to our gospel partners, I also want to say thank you. You know, you're the backbone of this ministry. Our mission to spread the gospel to millions all over the world rests solely on your shoulders. And as Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. And that's exactly what you're doing as a Wretched Gospel partner. You're choosing to stand firm with us. And the promise we make to you is to all Always, always, always be faithful with your donations. As a matter of fact, that's something we strive for. We strive to steward God's money as if eternity depended on it. We want to be accountable to our gospel partners because it's your faithful and consistent support that helps us keep the lights on and spread the gospel to millions. To continue standing firm with us, just visit wretched.org slash donate. Wretched. Amazing grace. Amazing gospel. Just because Roe v. Wade is overturned, that does not mean the battle for life is over. Would you please consider supporting Preborn Ministries, providing ultrasounds that genuinely save lives? That ultrasound changed everything for me. It really did. That made it all worthwhile to know that I was going to have a little blessing when she got here. It was just, oh my gosh. Another woman who chooses life because she saw an ultrasound. Her life, and obviously her baby's life, changed. When I heard her heartbeat, I decided to keep her. And now my daughter's about to be three. I don't know where my life would be without her. The war for life continues to rage. Would you please engage in the battle and support preborn centers at preborn.org slash wretched. Preborn.org slash wretched. Know your church fathers. Theophilus of Antioch lived a pagan lifestyle until he was converted by reading the scriptures. His most notable work, Apology, was written to an unbelieving friend to show that the scriptures were self-authenticating and argued that the antiquity, clarity, and consistency of the scriptures prove their divine origin. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. And welcome back to Wretched Radio. It is a Witness Wednesday, and I'm Jimmy Hicks in the studio. Todd is on campus at Kennesaw State University today, and when we last left him, he was talking to Cole, an agnostic, and they were talking about the authenticity of the Bible, and the conversation had started heading toward textual criticism. So let's get back to that chat right now with Todd and Cole. You believe Julius Caesar had some Gallic Wars, correct? Yes, because they have been heavily documented. Well, actually, the documentation for Julius Caesar's Gallic Wars goes basically like this. The earliest manuscript we have 
of Caesar's Gallic Wars. It's about 900 years after the fact. And my recollection of the number of manuscripts, I believe we have dozens of them. And yet historians go, that's pretty good. That's a pretty reliable text that we have based on 900 years separation and dozens of manuscripts. The New Testament, we have manuscripts and partials and fragments within the first century. And there are about 5,600 of them. That means, now track carefully with this, that the Bible, even secular people will agree, is the most accurate book in antiquity. In other words, the manuscripts that we have today, the Bibles that we have today, are precisely what was written down 2,000 years ago. They are totally accurate. Now, that doesn't mean they're true. It just means they're accurate. If you go back in history, not all those things were are 100% certain. Like, we're, we're fairly certain, you know, things Caesar did, things other empires such as the Persians and Greeks did. We're somewhat certain on the statistics, but, you know, of course, specific statistics on, like, numbers and stuff we're not 100 percent certain because it was so long ago those couldn't be we believe they're probably not 100 percent accurate there could be some slight margin of error in certain statistics back well then. just looking at, at the new testament of the bible again the distinction between it's accurate versus true because you brought up the issue of textual criticism that these books maybe it was passed you know transmitted like the telephone game mm-hmm. or they made some changes along the way well no they're actually completely accurate as to what was written down 2000 years ago. But it still raises the question is what they wrote down true. And that brings us back then to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Why would these men lie? Why would they mislead even unwittingly if this is a life and death issue? Because to believe in Christ in those days was to deny emperor worship which meant your execution. So if you confess that Christ is Lord instead of Nero or Caligula is Lord, you'd be killed. And that's what they said. That's what they asked of their followers. So they had nothing to gain financially. They lost their wealth. They lost their livelihoods. They lost their lives. They lost their wives. They lost their children because they saw it and they didn't have a reason to lie about it. So you put those two things together, the accuracy of the Bible and the eyewitness accounts that are recorded there. And I think you have a pretty powerful case that Christianity is the story of God coming down to earth so that you could know who he is. I'd say Christianity is definitely one of the more, I'd say credible religions as in it definitely like, seems a bit more organized than, I mean, you know, the big three religions, they're very organized, but Christianity seems very organized as well. You know, it does seem very credible in many forms. Let me try something on you, Cole. Okay. All right. I just tried to address your intellect, your gray matter. You've got a lot of it. So I just taught, told you about things like textual criticism, eyewitness accounts of the resurrection of Christ, to reason with you logically. I want to circumvent your intellect for a moment, and I want to get to a region in your brain called the conscience. the courtroom of your brain. And I want to try to get in there for a moment, if you'll be really honest. And let's see what sort of a verdict your conscience renders to see if that might be helpful in concluding that the resurrection of Christ is true. Okay? Okay. So I want to get into the courtroom of your brain by taking you into God's courtroom for a moment. Let's just say you die and God brings you into his courtroom and he opens up the books on your life. And God doesn't just hear reports or get the DNA evidence. 
God is an eyewitness to everything that we right, do. Of course. Not only that, he knows our thought life, which is kind of scary when you think about it. Yeah. Every thought, every desire that we have, everything we put our eyes on that we shouldn't. He knows everything about you from beginning to end better than you know yourself. He opens up the books on the life of coal. Let's start with lying. Would he know that coal has ever told lies? Yes, I have lied on some small things. I wouldn't say I've lied about, you know, important, you know, big problems. I've said I've been when it comes to important things, I'm truthful. If someone needs my opinion on something, I told them the truth. But a bit. you've lied. Yes, I have. OK, so then I feel like most of us on this planet has lied at some point. I, I think all of us, honestly. Yeah. yeah. OK, so let's talk about stealing. Have you ever stolen anything? No, I have not. Anything irrespective of value, coins from your parents' pocket, from their drawer, their change cup on their dresser, downloaded music that didn't belong to you. Ever stolen anything? I'd say maybe when I was young, I may have accidentally taken coins from parents, which I guess would have been stealing. I don't believe I've ever illegally downloaded anything, though. So Jesus said, you've heard it said, thou shall not commit adultery. But I say... If you look at a woman with lust, you've committed adultery in your heart because God goes deeper than just what we do with our bodies. He examines what we think about. Have you ever looked at a woman with lust? Lust isn't like she's pretty. Yes, of course. Well, beyond that, it, it has a component of sexual nature to it beyond just appreciating somebody's physical form lusting well i i wouldn't say i look for a woman just for looks or you know sexual things i'd say i look for a woman when i think of a woman i think oh i think of moral relationship like boyfriend girlfriend something but if you're a typical red-blooded male no doubt you've looked at a woman and had sexual desires or imagined or fantasies or not my business looked at pornography that would be crossing that line of the perfect purity that God demands from us. Okay. Remember, we're opening up the books and God knows it all. So none of my business, but no excuses before God with lying or stealing or lusting, dishonoring parents, um, taking the Lord's name in vain, which is called blasphemy, right. which is using God's name. Like instead of saying a four letter filth word, we use God's name, which is blasphemy. Okay, right. so Cole, there the books are opened up. Would God see that you are an innocent or a guilty man? In those in those specific actions, I'd say somewhat guilty, yes. Somewhat. In terms of like, yes, I probably have looked a woman of lust. I have used Lord's name in vain, things like that. Yes. So totally guilty. Not in the stealing part, but in the other parts, yes. But only takes one crime and you're a criminal, True. right? Yeah. Okay. All right, so God's got the books. He sees that you're guilty. Should God sentence you, Cole, to heaven or to hell? Well, I think maybe, well, if he's God, you know, you look at all, all the factors. You know, if I feel like if, you know, there's, of course, I know what it would be called, the judgment, I guess, where I believe doesn't St. Peter judge you in heaven as well? Uh, I guess I must have misread that then. Uh, it's a lot of cartoons and stuff, right. you know, and he's at the pearly gates and all of that. Right, There's right. fat baby angels flying around. No, it's not like that. Yeah, of course, of course those are car just cartoons. I knew that. All right, so God might weigh Cole's case. You've done some good things. Yes. All right. But Cole, let's reason together. In an earthly justice system, a criminal who's broken the laws and stands before a judge and says, but judge, I've done many good things. I've given money to charity. 
and I've helped a little old lady across the street, the judge will say, that's very nice, but it has nothing to do with the crimes that you've committed. You're still guilty because good deeds do not outweigh the bad deeds. Justice demands punishment. So what else might you offer to God to get your case dismissed? Maybe the intentions could be something else or say, of course, the good things are important, but also like if you did something, say, with not super evil intent, like let's say you stole something, like say in a different scenario, like you stole something to feed your family in like, say, in older times. But we're not talking about those things wrong, but um, right. But we're talking about taking something just because I desired it. I want it to be mine, which involves an aspect of coveting which is you've got something I don't think you should have. I think I should have it. So I'm going to take it from you. Right. Which in a sense is also bullying. And it's also saying to God, you know, you shouldn't have given that thing to that person. You should have given it to me. So it's again, accusing God of not doing right by you. So the complexity of sin is quite profound and they're interlinked and regularly they have the, the issue of pride connected to them. I take something because I think I should have it. I lust because I think that should be mine. I use God's name because I think I'm better than him when I drag it through the dirt. So I'm filled with pride, wrong motives, bad reasons for doing everything that I do. And even so, when you break the law, you have to pay the fine. Right. So what could you say in this moment to God when he goes to close the books and sentence you for eternity? Well, I also believe that people's attitudes and opinions can change, you know, as they age or with time. You know, someone who did something that might have been not a good thing when they were much younger, when they're older, they may say, oh, that, that wasn't a good thing for me to do. I regret doing that. And break. Uh, I hate to do it. I really hate to do that. But we've got to take a pause just a moment right here. When we return, however, the chat with Todd and history buff Cole it heats up. Hang tight. You're listening to Witness Wednesday on Wretched Radio. And now for some wretched news. It's Wretched Radio, and I'm Jimmy Hicks. First up today, Hillsong is making some headlines at the moment. It's being reported that Hillsong has been charging Compassion International $1 million per year to promote the organization and its efforts to help children. So honestly, I don't know much about Compassion International, but a million dollars a year seems pretty excessive for one ministry to charge another. Maybe it's the big foam fingers and the t-shirt cannons that they need to pay for. Well, in a surprising turn of events, a gender clinic founder and former professor at the University of Toronto has had a change of heart. As it turns out, she regrets her role in helping kids transition, and now she's acknowledging that most gender-confused kids grow out of their dysphoria by the time they're adults. I guess hindsight is 2020 after all. Meanwhile, a Canadian cannabis company recently retracted a claim that Health Canada gave them a license to sell, wait for it, cocaine. Turns out the company's original announcement was pretty major faux pas as Health Canada promptly set the record straight, stating that they never issued a license for the sale of cocaine. That's a big oopsie. The company since apologized for their, quote, erroneous communication. It's probably safe to say they're not going to be branching out into any snow-capped markets anytime soon. <laughs> Get it? 
Okay. All right. Well, I don't know if you heard about the abortion activists in Latin America who decided to celebrate International Women's Day by vandalizing churches. Their festivities included graffiti, broken windows, and even attempted arson. Yeah, talk about a memorable way to honor women. I'm sure all their mothers are just so proud. And moving on to technology in a move that might make you say... Meta is laying off another 10,000 employees. And that comes right on the heels of their previous pink slip party back in November where they bid adieu to 11,000 workers. It seems like the metaverse might be having a little turbulence or maybe they're just trying to keep up with the times. But hey, you know, I try to find the positive in every story on the bright side. At least there'll be plenty of virtual reality headsets available. And it seems like there's a little bit of hoopla in the world of girls basketball. A Christian school's girls basketball team recently put their foot down and refused to play against a school that had a boy on the roster. But the association that oversees the tournament said, nope, standing up for what you believe is right, it's not a good move. So they banned the Christian school from participating in future tournaments. Know whether right or wrong, when you stand firm on your biblical beliefs, there are typically consequences from unbelievers. And that's been your Wretched News. Here on Wretched Radio, I'm Jimmy Hicks. Lexicon. There are many words to help us understand the nature of the Bible. Words like sensus literalis. The Bible is to be read in the literal sense the way the author and original audience would have understood it. There is no code, no secret meaning to be uncovered. The Bible is plainly written so that all people can know God through its pages. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. And we are back. It is Witness Wednesday at Wretched Radio. And when we took our last break, Todd and Cole were having a very nice chat at Kennesaw State University. Cole is an agnostic history buff and up until this point they have covered a pretty good range of topics they've talked about the accuracy of the bible the the accuracy and the reliability of the witnesses at the resurrection the existence of jesus the existence of jesus as god and man and they've went through the law and were cold and honestly all of us stand in relation to it so let's jump back into that conversation todd and cole they're chatting at kennesaw state university it's a witness wednesday on wretched radio you're gonna hate this call let's go back to world war ii okay all right world war ii it took right. place 1939 in 1939 to 45 when were the nuremberg trials that was uh a few months after the war had ended, which was in where the high ranking Nazi officers, most of them who were actually quite responsible for those crimes, you know, mass murder and everything. Now, if I used your reason that time somehow forgives crimes, those people in the Nuremberg trials could have said, but judge, we did that thing years ago. The judge would go, of course you did the crime in the past because that's how time works. So time doesn't dismiss guilt. So even if you did those things two years ago, three years ago, 10 years ago, it doesn't matter. You still have a rap sheet with God. Well, I feel one difference of those officers, or I guess not even officers, those high ranking leaders is in those trials, they never exactly, most of them never really showed regret for any of their crimes. Many of them, especially Goebbels and Himmler, you know, they felt like 
the this mass extermination, this you know crime against humanity, was in their eyes the right thing to do, which is as twisted as that is. But even if they broke down crying like babies, the judge would go, "It's about time." That's how you should feel, but you still have a debt to pay. So remorse doesn't forgive crimes either, right? Yes. Yeah, so well, I'd say if that with severe crime, say murder or rape or something very serious or a major theft then yes i don't think remorse matters if you like killed someone or you did something that god would see as something unforgivable thanks for taking this like a man because i want to keep pressing on you okay. i want you to imagine this scenario because i'm still trying to get to your conscience i'm saying want to see if we can find some agreement right. in that area of your brain if i tell a lie to my son do you know what's going to happen to me you mean in the eyes of God? No, just okay. this life. What's going to happen to me when I lie to my son? You'd probably find out at some point. But nothing. He has, he has no authority over me. He has, okay. he has no power. If he doesn't, then, then yes. If I lie to my wife, what do you think is going to happen to me? She'll find out. <laughs> and I'm going to be sleeping on the couch. Yeah. <laughs> I lie to my boss. I could be fired. Yes, you could be fired. I, I lie to the government. What can happen to me? Well, if it's something on taxes or certain crimes, then yes, you could be arrested or imprisoned. Nothing, sleeping on the couch, fired, going to jail. Same crime. I lied in all four instances. That's all I did. I just lied right. four times. But the crime didn't change, but the punishment increased. Reason with me. Why? Well, I guess what you're saying would be the authority figure right there. Good on you. God reigns in the heavens. Right. He's higher than the governments. He's higher than my wife, my boss, my kids. He is almighty, all powerful, all holy, all righteous, all just. So I think a lie is no big deal. It is a cosmic crime against the sovereign of the universe. That's why the Bible says, all liars will have their part in a lake of fire. That lying lips are an abomination to God. That's why he sees lust as adultery, because he is that high. And while we have a tendency to kind of dismiss our own case with God, he doesn't. And the Bible says that, Cole, every time you sin, you're just putting a little, little drop of God's wrath into a cup, and it's storing up, and it's storing up, and it's building up. And one day, when he calls your number, he's going to examine your documents, which he knows, and he will give you what you have earned for yourself, a lawbreaker, breaking God's laws. By the way, we were just talking about the bad stuff we do. Right. We're supposed to be loving everybody to the max. I'm supposed to be kind as much as I can. I'm supposed to always be a truth teller. I should always be going the extra mile. And I don't, and I don't, and I don't, and I don't worship God the way that I should. I don't give him the attention that he deserves. So I'm storing up wrath for God's day of wrath when he's going to pour out his wrath on guilty criminals like you and me. And there's a reason we have a justice system on earth. Why did we, why did we come up with this idea? Well, it's because it's a reflection of what's going on in heaven. God is just. The foundations of his throne are righteousness and justice. We have court systems because God is a judge. And he's going to judge the world in righteousness. We have prisons because we know that there should be punishment for sin. God has a prison called hell that he's prepared for lawbreakers. So, Cole, I'm trying to get to your conscience for a moment. 
to show you that the Bible is true when it says nobody does good, no, not one, and that you and I, as we sit here, if we are not in some way able to get our court case dismissed, we're under the wrath of God. And that's what the Bible would say about you today, that right now, God's not your friend, and you can't find safe harbor by just saying, well, maybe, maybe not. No, if you're not for him, you're against him. And the Bible says that on the day when you die, you're gonna meet him without excuse. And it's a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. He is the one with whom you must do. And the Bible says that God will give everyone, including you, what you've deserved for yourself and earned for yourself. But keep tracking with me. God is rich in mercy. He loves to forgive sinners and guilty criminals, but there's tension that exists here. He's got to punish lawbreakers because he's just, and if he didn't, he'd be unjust, and that would be to go against his nature, and he can't. But on the other hand, he's merciful, and he's filled with loving kindness and grace and mercy, and he loves to forgive sinners. But there's a tension in those two ideals to satisfy that tension, God the Father sent God the Son, Jesus Christ, to this earth, never lied, never lusted, never dishonored parents, never took the Lord's name in vain, did everything right, was then not a victim, but a volunteer who was beaten to a bloody pulp, who was hung on a tree by nails holding his hands and feet until he gasped for his last breath and died because he was doing something for you. He was taking the wrath that you deserve upon himself. Therefore, God can be just by, by punishing Jesus on your behalf, and you can become justified in his sight because of what Jesus did for you. So the tension is resolved. God does have satisfaction of justice poured out on his son. Therefore, he can forgive you, the guilty criminal, who can be made right because of what Jesus did on your behalf. That's called the gospel of Jesus Christ, that sinners can be forgiven. And then, having made the payment to God, you've got a sin debt, you've got a trillion dollar fine you can't pay, Jesus pays it for you. God gives you the receipt saying that that transaction was sufficient by raising his son from the dead. Eyewitnesses saw it. They worshiped him because they knew that he was indeed the son of God who died for sinners. That's what the Christian faith is built on, forgiveness of sins. Now, I want to go back to your intellect for a moment because I've been pressing on your conscience to show you this is the only story that will resolve your guilt problem, the shame issue, the forgiveness ideal. I, I need this satisfied. This is the only story that can do that. So think about it intellectually. If Jesus Christ didn't rise from the dead, if he didn't die for you a sinner, then you and I are without hope. There's just no way to resolve my conscience issue. There's no way to satisfy my guilt problem unless Jesus died. So he satisfies our conscience problem and our intellect problem. So now, Cole, having said all of that, here's the question. Is what I'm telling you true? I feel like it's so hard to know. I mean, it could easily be 100% true. 
Now, there are many people on this planet who may just never believe it, even if presented with evidence about it. Because, you know, not everyone believes everything, unfortunately. But I do believe there could easily be some truth to it, yes. Here's, here's how the Bible would diagnose what's going on in your brain right okay. now. The Bible would say that your intellect has been satisfied. I've shared with you things like textual criticism, Bible manuscripts, the accuracy, the veracity of the Bible, the supernatural nature of the Bible, that it's axiomatic, it proves itself. That's all intellectual. I reasoned with you that Jesus rose from the dead and eyewitnesses would die for it. That means it actually happened. The issue is an intellect for us, Cole. The issue is will, because here's, here's what that story demands of you. Okay, stop. Let's take a break at the most inconvenient place possible because that's my spiritual gift. You're welcome. The demand of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What is it? Well, we all get to hear next along with Cole. Stay with us. It is Witness Wednesday on Wretched Radio. Cool, very cool. The Tomorrow Clubs now have 106 clubs in Romania. This year marks the celebration of the 25th anniversary of our ministry. But also, it is a very important milestone for Tomorrow Clubs Romania. Now, Tomorrow Clubs Romania has 106 clubs. That means 106 villages are hearing the gospel proclaimed to the kids who get saved. They bring the gospel home. Parents get saved and local churches get strengthened. Would you please consider supporting the Tomorrow Clubs? Not only do they have hundreds of clubs in Romania, Ukraine, Russia, Albania, all over Eastern Europe and now in Africa, would you please consider what might you do to bring the gospel to both Africa and to Eastern Europe? Tomorrowclubs.org slash wretched. Question, are you tired of the same old boring TV shows? Well, there is something that's not like anything else on Christian TV. It's transformed and it's back for season number two. You get to be a fly on the wall as you witness real biblical counseling sessions tackling issues like depression, anxiety, OCD, and others. These are real people with real issues being offered real solutions by our hosts, Dr. Greg Gifford and Dale Johnson. So if you're looking for something different, you know, a show that glorifies God and demonstrates the sufficiency of His Word, then Transform is for you. It's a one-of-a-kind production that provides the hope and relief that only the Bible can give. The world is full of hurting people, even Christians, and many are completely unaware of biblical counseling and the answers it can provide. So join us for Transform Season 2, the show that will transform your walk with Christ and leave a profound and lasting impact on your life. Get your hands on it now and also consider grabbing the Sunday School curriculum for your church. You can find it at transform.org or the Wretched Store at wretched.org. Yes, you want to save money because after all, you're a Christian and that's what we want to do. Save money, but never at the expense of our families, health, and peace of mind should a family member fall ill. That is why I'd like to commend you MediShare, the gold standard of healthcare sharing. You will save on average $500 per month as a family. How much will you save? It takes two minutes. 844-34-BIBLE. And if you think well, this isn't very good, you get free telehealth services with MediShare, a huge network of doctors with MediShare, and great customer support. And fellow Christians will pray for you. 
MediShare, 400,000 members strong. Peace of mind and savings. Simply call 844-34-BIBLE, 844-34-BIBLE. Hermeneutics. A vital part of biblical hermeneutics is an understanding of genre. One genre we find in Scripture is an epistle. Epistles are letters written to the church at large or to a specific church which contain doctrine, theological arguments, and practical application. God uses first century correspondence to deliver His timeless truth. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. And welcome back. Witness Wednesday on Wretched Radio. So what does the gospel demand? Let's get back to Todd and Cole now at Kennesaw State University. Here's what that story demands of you, that you are forced to admit, I'm wrong about my estimation of myself. I'm not a good person. I'm a bad person. And if I'm going to submit to this kingship of the Lord Jesus Christ, I need to turn from my sins, forsake my sins, and put my trust in him. And it's that part that we struggle with. We love our sins. We love living autonomously. We love making our own decisions. We love to go our own way. And so I think the Bible would actually diagnose your issue. You can, you can just ponder this today. It's not your intellect. Because you, if you want to go study history, church history is the most robust history on the planet. The Bible is the most examined book of all time, and it's withstood all of the scrutiny. It's archaeologically sound and accurate in everything that it says. It is prophetically miraculous. But all of that stuff could be presented to you. But if you don't want to surrender to God, you won't because of your will. So I would challenge you on this for this thought for the day. Is it possible that you're trying to find safe harbor because your conscience tells you God exists and I'm in big trouble. So I don't want to outright reject him, but I'm not really ready to surrender either. That the real reason for that is because you just want to keep living for yourself, doing the things that you like to do and not turning from your sins. Would you ponder that today? I would. Yes, I would ponder that. Because the offer that's in front of you is total forgiveness, that God is willing to forgive you a sinner because of his goodness. And that should cause us not to want to put our trust in him because we just want to get out of hell, although that's valid. But if he if he actually came to this earth, if he left heaven to live in a, you know what it was like to live in the first century? It was a horrible yeah. time. He forsook everything, the worship of myriads upon myriads, to come to this earth to live a poor life, to not have a bed to sleep in, to fulfill all righteousness, to die for you and to be brutally bruised in the process. He must be amazing. He must be amazing. And our desire then should be for him, not just to get out of hell, but because I want to be with the one who saved me from hell. So this is not just a, a get out of hell free card. Right. This is an offer to be in a relationship with the God who loved you enough to die for you, to save you. So that's a lot to consume yes, in is. one sitting. But this is more important than any 20th century history because it, your soul is involved in this. Jesus asked a question, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world, studies history, becomes a professor, gets paid well, has a brick house with ivy growing on the walls? 
but he loses his soul. It doesn't matter. The things of this life are nice, but they're trivial compared to the value of your soul. I'm pretty certain you wouldn't sell me one of your eyes for a million dollars, would you? No, and I wouldn't sell my soul either. Because it's precious. And what it cost to redeem it was the lifeblood of Jesus Christ, because he wants to save you. This is an urgent issue for you today. The Bible says, today is the day of salvation. If you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Don't block this out with clever decoys of the Bible was telephone game, or well, the guys at Nuremberg, they weren't remorseful, but I will be. You're not gonna get away with that. If you hear his voice speaking to your conscience, testifying this is the way of escape for you, then today is the day of salvation. Put your trust in Christ today, or just it's better to reject it outright, but you're not in safe harbor with agnosticism. Move to Christian theism or recognize that you're an enemy of God, and that's just the way that you're gonna to choose to live. That's the decision in front of you today. Would you ponder that today? Yes, I would. Thank you for listening to all of this and for sitting here and being willing to uh, endure that. Thanks. Thank you indeed. That was a really helpful conversation. A lot of things covered in that conversation. Cole had some really good questions and counters, all of which we all will encounter when we evangelize people. So that truly was a very helpful conversation to kind of be a fly on the wall and get a chance to listen to. But we're not finished yet, if you can believe it. Let's hit it back out to Todd now on campus at Kennesaw State University. Please meet the politically incorrect Carlos. Carlos, I asked you about Easter and you said your feelings about it aren't politically correct. How come? Um, I don't even like to call it Easter. Um, there was a trend of years, a few years back that we were calling it Resurrection Sunday. I don't really know where the term Easter even come from. I am a believer in Jesus Christ. I don't like to call him Jesus Christ. I like to call him Yeshua. But I do believe that he died and was resurrected on the third day during um, the, the Jewish holiday Passover. Um, so I don't like that it was mixed with um, nothing against Easter and the pagan things like that. But I don't like the Judeo-Christian message being mixed in with paganism. Got it. All right. So you are, would you call yourself a Christian? By most people's terms, yes. I have um, no gripes with the Christian um, faith. I don't like to call myself a Christian. I believe in the way. I believe in Jesus Christ, Yeshua. Christian was a derogatory term when it was first introduced. But to be honest, I don't care what people call me. But I <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. So are you a part of a movement called the Hebrew Roots Movement? No, I'm, I don't know much about that, but I do study Hebrew roots. Um, I wouldn't say I am officially a part of that, but I probably have a lot of overlapping views with them. Are you a part of a denomination? No, I do um, study under um, Messianic Judaism, which is basically a branch of Judaism that um, study that um, believes in Yeshua as the Messiah. Does this particular group and you in particular, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah who is also God? Yes. So would you agree then with the Christian understanding of Jesus that Jesus is fully God and fully man? For the most part, yes. For the most part. My views don't align with everything that um, most of the church believes. But um, yes, I do believe in that. 
Oh. And Carlos, I'm curious. You you prefer the the term Yeshua? How come? Because um, when Jesus Christ walked this earth, that's probably closer to what he would have been called. That's true, Joshua. Something a derivative of that. I I, I agree with that. But it's a it's a Hebrew word. Why not just use the English? That's not what he was called when he was here. Like my name is Carlos. I'm not Hispanic. But I don't want people to call me Charles, even though Charles is the English version of Carlos. Okay, Carlos, do you use uh, do you use a Hebrew name for God when you talk about God? Yud Hey Vav Hey, I would say Adonai, because that's kind of in the place of Yud Hey Vav Hey. The vowels are not in the like in the King James. Most people say Yahweh. Um, we don't know that that's the correct pronunciation. Probably is maybe, but we don't know. Do you ever just use the term God? Yes. Do you think you're sinning if you don't use those Hebrew names or those Greek names like Adonai? No. Interesting. All right. So, Carlos, let's say I walked up to you and I said, besides the fact that you're the IT guy and I want to be nice to you so that I can get your help when I need it. You seem like a decent fellow. I would like whatever it is that you have. I'd like to become a believer like you. How would you present your faith to me in an effort to persuade me to become like you? First and foremost, I probably wouldn't try to persuade you. But if I asked you? It would be a long story, but I, I would give you everything I know to my knowledge. We would probably pull out a, um, several versions of, of the um, Bible and I would break my faith down to, to you as I believe it and why. I would also give my personal testimony some of the um, miracles that I've seen in my life, things of that nature. So what must I do to become a Christian? Um, believe in the name of the Lord and you shall be saved. Believe in Yeshua. Um, it's, I, I feel it's okay to call him Jesus Christ. I don't, I have no, I don't like to call him that, but I have no issues with that term because that's around the world. That's what most people know him as, but ask him into your heart, um, repent of your sin because I believe everybody walking this, the face of this earth, <laughs> Uh, from the time you stole the nickel off of your um, grandma's dress, it has sin in some form or fashion. Nobody's perfect. I don't have a works-based faith. It is a faith in what um, Jesus did for me when he died on the cross and rose again. So just for the record, I didn't take nickels from my grandmother's dresser. I took quarters. So there. So tell, tell me what happens to somebody who dies and doesn't believe in Jesus Christ. I can't make that call, but um, if you take a literal interpretation of the um, of the New Testament, you will go to hell. Doesn't sound very tolerant. I told you it wasn't wasn't that PC. Very politically correct. Mm -hmm. All right, dude. Hey. But I feel like everybody has a chance. I mean, I don't know. There might be a back door somewhere. I don't know. I wouldn't count on it, but. Hey. <laughs> and today has really been a good learning experience, at least for me it has. We all encounter people who are believers, so do you press in or do you just move along? A lot of times I have to be honest, I kind of move along. Well, Todd pressed in here with Carlos. Honestly, I picked up some things. Hopefully you did too, but I'm not sure I can take much more today. A helpful day indeed here at Wretched Radio. And until tomorrow, go serve your king.